Let us worship God. First reading is from the prophet Isaiah, the 43rd chapter, beginning with the first verse. In preparation to hear these words, let us pray. Holy One, we give you thanks for these ancient words and for the lives of those who have carried them down throughout the ages. We ask that you would open our hearts and minds this morning, that your fresh word might fall upon us this day. Amen. But now thus says the Holy One, the one who created you, O Jacob, the one who formed you, O Israel. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. 
and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Holy One, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Ethiopia and Seba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my sight and honored, and I love you. I give people in return for you, nations in exchange for your life. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from far away and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thanks be to God.
Our second reading today is from Matthew 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, God will command the angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, Do not put your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, worship your God and serve only God. Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. Here ends the gospel reading. If you have a child in your life, there's a good chance you've read the Maurice Sendak story, Where the Wild Things Are. It's about a boy named Max, who's been sent to his room without supper for being a wild thing. And during his time out, his room is transformed. A whole forest grows up around him so that his ceiling becomes heavy with thick vines and his bedroom walls, as Sendak writes, become the world all around. Wild creatures appear some with animal-like bodies and some with human-like bodies, but they've, got, they've all got these really gigantic heads and these bulbous yellow eyes. They are somewhat friendly looking, but um, they are clearly monsters because when they meet Max, they roar their terrible roars and gnash their terrible teeth and roll their terrible eyes and show their terrible claws. It's not till Max stares them down, looking straight into those terrible yellow eyes, that the creatures themselves become afraid and call Max the most wild thing of all. They make him the king of all wild things. And when those beasts are tamed and Max's authority is clearly established, The king of all wild things makes his first edict. Let the wild rumpus start. Here we are, friends, in the season of Lent, the wild rumpus of a season in which we follow Jesus into wilderness places. 
This is not a tame season. This is a season in which we are invited to tell the truth about God, ourselves, and the world we live in. Where we may find ourselves face to face with the things we most fear, which we may or may not be prepared to stare down. It is the season where we, again following Jesus, may come to discover who we truly are in the eyes of God. May come to discover the belovedness in God we are truly meant for. The belovedness which is both our identity and our calling. We have chosen for our theme this Lent a line from the chant we sang earlier today. There is one among us whom we do not know. And I just love that truth. I love how that truth undoes the religious certainty we can sometimes have about Jesus. That over-familiarity which is so deadly to a life of faith. But be honest, do you think of Jesus as one among us whom we do not know? Or do we know him all too well? Is he like that spouse we've been sharing the house with for 40 years? We finish each other's sentences. We know each other's habits inside and out. We've heard the same jokes for 40 years. And my husband would say, and they're still funny. Is something like this happening with Jesus? We know what he's going to say before he says it. We know what he's going to do before he does it. We know how he's going to build the church and the kinds of tools he will use, which just happen to be the kinds of tools we use. We know the kinds of people he would call, and we know the kinds of people he definitely wouldn't call. We know how this Jesus story is going to end. We already know. Has Jesus gotten too familiar, too predictable, too small, too safe, and not nearly as wild as his love would lead him to be? If so, we are in the very best place in this season of Lent. We may know the Jesus story but I invite you today to let that story know you. Let it reveal what it might make of you. The story begins in the wilderness, a dry, barren, empty place. It's really a very strange setting to launch a movement. But here's Jesus in the middle of this barren desert, led to this place, not by the devil, but by the Spirit of God. Which means it's not an accident that he's here. The wilderness isn't an unfortunate detour. It has a purpose. But it still feels wrong, doesn't it? No adoring crowds hanging on Jesus' every word. Nobody asking, what must I do to be saved? All that will come, but first it is this. Jesus is in the wilderness, weak with hunger, bereft of friends and resources. 
facing Satan in this most intense way. Again, I ask, is this any way to begin a ministry? Hasn't Jesus just been baptized by John? That's the previous passage. The heavens have opened and Jesus had a dove, a light on him. And then, as if that wasn't glory enough, he was given the ultimate affirmation from the heavenly voice saying, this is my son, the beloved. This is the one with whom I am well pleased. This one delights me. Before Jesus has preached his first sermon or performed his first miracle, he's had God's affirmation ringing in his ears just for being who he is. It's really hard to go from all that obvious glory to this stark scene in the desert. But you notice, it's not really Satan's way to roar his terrible roar and gnash his terrible teeth. Satan instead likes to quote scripture. Satan likes to have theological discussions. Satan's most powerful weapon, at least here, is not to throw down his full rage, but rather to toss a little pebble in Jesus' path to see if Jesus will stumble, to see if a tiny crack will appear in Jesus' resolve. A little harmless pebble, which consists of two letters, I and F. If. If. See, you don't need the nuclear option if you can trip Jesus up with a tiny pebble. If you are the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. If you are the Son of God, jump off this temple spire because see how it says here in Deuteronomy? God's going to come through for you. You will not even stub your toe. Jesus, look at all these splendid kingdoms. It's all yours. You can have it all now if you will just worship me. If, if. If the accuser's way is to cast doubt on what the heavenly voice has just said to Jesus, not moments before at his baptism. Jesus has emerged from the waters of baptism, drenched in all this grace. He knows who he is, and he knows what his whole ministry is to be about. And it's all wrapped up in the name his father has given him, beloved Jesus is God's beloved, and he has come to return everyone and everything to their God-belovedness. So, of course, that's exactly the place that Satan is going to aim the arrows, right there at his identity. Are you really the son of God? Are you really God's beloved? Let's talk about it. Let's recalibrate here. Satan wishes to talk Jesus out of his God-belovedness and the wildly beautiful calling which flows out of his belovedness with God. Even though being beloved is meant to be everything for Jesus, 
communion and calling, identity and mission wrapped up in this one beautiful whole. And really, friends, it's not that different with us. When the church prays every Sunday, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, what are we asking for? See, I don't think it has to do with this particular sin or that particular behavior. It's much broader than that. It's whatever diminishes our humanity as those who are the beloved of God. It's whatever throws us into confusion, not just about who we are, but whose we are. So we might pray, lead us not into the consumerism, which turns life into one big hunger game. Lead us not into the division, which makes us rivals with each other. Lead us not into arrogance, despair, lovelessness, the fear we are so prone to when we forget whose we are, but God deliver us. Let me ask you, what are the voices that are talking you out of your baptismal identity as God's beloved? Casting doubt on who Jesus says that you are. I am what I've achieved. I am what I've earned. I am what others say of me or expect of me or need me to be. I am the hurt that I've done or the hurt done to me. I am the privileges that I carry or the regret that I carry or the shame that I carry. I am all the masks I put on every single day to be worthy, accepted, and loved. You are not likely to want to hear this, and I almost struggle to say this, <clears throat> but sometimes to really live into our God-belovedness, wilderness is required. So please hear me out. <clears throat> when our patterns are set, when we're full and satisfied, and everything feels solid and safe, we don't know to reach for God. We don't really need to reach for God. We may not even know that we are lost. We need the wilderness to return us to God, to reveal who we are without the props. We need the wilderness to return us to God by returning us to ourselves. We need the wilderness to be found by God. <clears throat> I've shared parts of my story with you, but I am finding that more of it comes together as I practice letting go of some of the masks that I have worn all my life. It's terrifying to let these masks 
go and also the most wonderfully freeing thing. So let me try the story again. <laughs> when I became the pastor of the church I was part of for most of my adult life, so we're talking over 30 years, there was a really strong sense in me that I was not supposed to fail. That's kind of how I'm built. I like to put pressure on myself. <laughs> and there was even more writing on my pastoral call that I think unknowingly created more of a burden. First woman pastor of our church, first Asian pastor of the church. So, you know, my gosh, all the expectation, right? I felt the weight of this. Plus, our congregation um, had gained a reputation in some circles for being rather cutting edge in how we reflected on being the church and practiced being the church and expressed all of that in ministry. We wrote articles on this. We spoke at conferences on this. So along with my, my truly genuine yes to God, I unknowingly carried a thousand other yeses to all the expectations and hidden agendas that came with the role. And the voices were loud. You cannot fail these people. You must be everything they need. Faithfulness to God means you stick it out here even if you are shriveling up inside. And then, when everything collapsed for us as a community, and we were taking stock of who we were as a church, I made the decision to leave. Something I thought I would never do, but also the only thing I felt I could do. And when I left, it was really hard to shake the sense that I was this massive, fraud. I have never felt so lost. But I have to say it was the wilderness that saved me. God found me there and led, let me heal there. The wilderness was a chance to remember who I was apart from the pressures of a role that I had carried with so much burden. I had a counselor during this time whose main message to me was, Sharon, even before you are a shepherd, you are God's precious lamb. She had even given me this, this porcelain lamb, tiny little figurine, that I could carry around with me as a reminder of who I was and always would be in God's eyes. Not something shiny and invincible, but a lamb, a vulnerable lamb, prone to wander, yes, but who nevertheless is treasured by God, beloved and held with compassion. So, dear friends, if you are in a wilderness place, 
Do not fear. Do not fear. It may be that the Spirit of God has led you here to learn what is best learned in the wilderness, that you are God's beloved, period, full stop. May you find in this wild place that the wildest thing of all is God's love for you. People of God, let this be everything. Okay, I don't usually quote poetry, but this one is too perfect. <laughs> um, it's by Jan Richardson, and I'll let her words of blessing close this sermon. <clears throat> it's called, Beloved is Where We Begin. <clears throat> If you would enter into the wilderness, do not begin without a blessing. Do not leave without hearing who you are. Beloved, named by the one who has traveled this path before you, do not go without letting it echo in your ears. And if you find it is hard to let it into your heart, do not despair. That is what this journey is for. I cannot promise this blessing will free you from danger, from fear, from hunger or thirst, from the scorching of sun or the fall of night. But I can tell you that on this path, there will be help. I can tell you that on this way, there will be rest. I can tell you that you will know the strange graces that come to our aid only on a road such as this, that fly to meet us bearing comfort and strength, that come alongside us for no other cause than to lean themselves toward our ear. And with their curious insistence, whisper our name. Beloved, beloved, beloved. Amen.
As we continue now with the prayer chants, you are invited in the silence of your hearts to offer your prayers of intercession and supplication, those prayers for the world, for those you love, and for yourself to be given to God. Thank you. 
song, in silence, in word, and in community. And for that, we give you our thanks and our praise. Amen. Friends, if you are in a wilderness place and have a hundred voices trying to make claim on your identity, remember who you are and remember whose you are. You are God's beloved, so live into your new name. And may the grace of God who created you in love, the peace of Christ who teaches it is possible to be love, and the power of the Spirit who calls you ever forward into new experiences of love, be and abide with you this day, this week, and evermore. Amen. Amen.